Hello and welcome. You are listening to Gay with God, a safe place for us to share our stories and support one another. How long did we know? What challenges did we face? Did we lose our faith? When did we find our way back home? Are we still searching? The stories you hear in this podcast will melt your heart and can strengthen your belief that in God, all things are possible. And you can be authentically gay with God. I am your host, Midge Noble, and I am very honored that you are here. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Gay With God podcast. I'm really excited that you're joining us today, and I appreciate all of you who support it and you are subscribing and sharing. Those of you who have even given me some guest ideas, so please keep those coming because, you know, (laughs) as a podcast, I can either sit here and talk to myself or I can talk with someone else, and that's exactly what I'm prepared to do and I like to do. So today I do have a guest that I'm so excited to introduce pastor joshua noah he is a child of god a father of three amazing kids a partner to lawrence a son a brother a friend a spiritual listener and an ordained pastor in the presbyterian church of the united states of america he currently works as a full-time bartender and a part-time pastor along with the alabama gulf coast Josh grew up in North Alabama, where he attended conservative evangelical fundamentalist Southern Baptist churches. When he was a teenager, his disillusionment with the hypocrisy of people in the church led him to declare himself an atheist. While attending Maryville College, a PCUSA affiliated school in East Tennessee, Josh discovered his faith again at age 26 and was baptized into the Presbyterian Church. Following an 11-year teaching career, Josh answered the Spirit's call to ministry and attended Princeton Theological Seminary, where he earned his Master of Divinity and a Master of Arts in Christian Education with an emphasis in ministry with young people. He was ordained in the PCUSA in 2015. In his 13 years of ministry, Josh has served as a volunteer youth director in Houston, a director of children, youth, and family ministry in New Jersey, a solo pastor outside of St. Louis, and now is the part-time pastor of Open Table United Church in Christ in Mobile, Alabama. He will begin his CPE residency in August 2022 in hopes of becoming a board-certified chaplain. Wow. Josh? Yeah. Welcome. Welcome. Thanks. You do have a lot to be here. Well, I really appreciate it. And um, a full disclosure, folks, as we were getting prepared for this, Josh uh, sent me this morning a video of his coming out story. And I, I told him that that I had a bone to pick with him because I was in tears by the time we got online together. And I'm so grateful you sent that, Josh. And I'm 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 just so thankful. And I will definitely paste, post that on the show page, folks. You guys need to, to see it. And we're going to go deeper today than just that. We're going to talk about, you know, all of Josh's stories. So let's just get to it. Josh, tell us your story. Okay, so um, I guess I knew that I was different around the age of 10. And I understood to mean that I was gay by about age 12. But in the Southern Baptist culture I grew up in, which pretty much permeates every aspect of life in the Deep South, uh, I was taught very quickly to tuck that away, and I pretended to like girls. Um, Though throughout my life, people always called me gay or fag, and that was even more scary because it made me think that there was something about me on the outside that made people know that I was gay, and I didn't know what it was, and I tried to, you know, hide that and keep that in as best I could. I actually went away to a, a boarding school in high school, and that's where I had, like, sexual experiences with other boys, but of course, when, when guys are doing this, uh, we never kiss because kissing would be gay. <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> right. All the other things, that's not gay, but the kissing would be. And, 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 and that I didn't, I had my last sexual experience with a guy my freshman year of college with a old high school friend of mine. And after that, I went 20 years without, of, of without any kind of sexual contact or anything like that with a man. And I had met my wife in college. And we got engaged our senior year and we married six months after graduating. And I kept my sexuality locked tightly away after I met her. 
But because I didn't want others to feel the same way that I did, I was always supportive of the LGBTQIA plus community throughout the whole time I was hiding uh, my sexuality. Mm -hmm. So um, I guess like, how did I, how did I come out and um, how my relationships not were with both my family, friends, and community of faith? This Mm -hmm. is kind of interesting story that's kind of a leads up to everything that's in the video you'll share and then what happens afterwards. So, um, I guess I, I sometimes say I had two coming outs. First, I came out as Christian in my, in my twenties. That's when I finally came, you know, I said I was atheist when I was in Mm -hmm. high school because I was so sick of the hypocrisy of the churches I was attending. And then finally, when I went to Maryville college and I learned that you didn't have to check your brain at the door when you came to church, um, (laughs) that's when I started coming back around to faith, uh, specifically in the Presbyterian church USA. And so, um, I was baptized when I was 26 and declared myself Christian at that point. But I came out as a gay man when I was 39. And I had been struggling with anxiety and depression on and off for well over a decade. But the three years before I came out, it got really, really bad. Mm-hmm. And my inward self-hatred was being externalized towards my wife and even my kids. And I will openly admit that I was emotionally abusive. Uh, Cause it was so bad. And I, that's something I regret very deeply. And I'll mm-hmm. even admit that my oldest child still won't speak to me mm-hmm. uh, after they've cut, been working through and come to terms with all that. Oh. So, but um, I was finally starting to accept the reality that I was gay. And, but at this point, after being married for 17 years with three kids and had this full-time ministry job, I felt that I just couldn't do this. I couldn't break up my family. So I decided that I was just going to go out and have this hookup with some guy and I was going to get it out of my system. And then I was going to keep on living life as always. Well, it turns out that the guy that I met was, is my now partner, Lawrence. And um, once I met Lawrence, there was no going back. So I began seeing Lawrence in secret while I tried to figure out how I was going to tell my wife about this. And I had already told my therapist and my best friend since childhood uh, both of which said I had always known. And the therapist said, the minute you walked in the door, I knew. And uh, <laughs> my best friend from childhood said, yeah, I know. And I said, okay, well, who from who of our friends won the bet then? She said, all of us. Oh, wow. So, yeah. <laughs> um, and I remember when I finally told her, it was on Good Friday of 2019. And mm-hmm. I think it's fitting that my marriage and my false straight self died on Good Friday. Mm-hmm. Um, I had helped to lead this huge community-wide ecumenical Good Friday service, which included this one mile procession of the cross from my congregation all the way up to the UMC church at the street. And interestingly enough, I, ca- I was the one who carried the cross the entire way. Wow. Um, when the service at the UMC church ended, all the church members who were supposed to help me take stuff back to the church, including that massive cross, uh, they kind of were nowhere to be found. And I was frustrated. I was upset. I was tired and all my emotions were at the surface. So I called my wife to come and help me. So she left the kids at home because it was only about a mile away, and she brought the van over to help me. And I remember dragging the cross into the church and just slamming it down in the sanctuary with just total anger and frustration. And my wife was putting things away in my office. And I walked in, and she could tell that something was really wrong. And she just she asked me, and I just collapsed to the floor and began, began crying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. That's all I could say over and over again was, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. She didn't know what was going on mm-hmm. and I couldn't even say the words and she eventually started understanding what was happening. And so she said them to me oh, and, wow. um, and I just, I can even, I can even say, yes, I just shook my head and she was, she was okay with this until she realized I had had an affair and mm-hmm. things kind of went bad for a while after that. And I remember um, that following Easter Sunday was really, really weird. Mm-hmm. Um, my good friends, Suzanne and Declan DeWitt Hall, who you've interviewed on your podcast before, were members of my congregation. And Declan later said, I knew something was wrong because your preaching was off that day. That was not <laughs> you preaching up there. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So um, Kelly and I then decided that we were going to go about this slowly. And we realized that our religious marriage vows uh, could not have been made with sincerity. And because society had basically scared me into the closet and into this marriage. And so we decided since our marriage was already over, we could uh, go on and see, begin seeing other people we wor- while we worked out the details of a legal, uncontested divorce. And so I continued seeing Lawrence, and she actually began dating. Um, the following June, we sat down and told our kids, and we've always raised our kids to be loving, accepting of others. And Kelly already had two siblings who were gay that were out, and that's just part of their everyday life. So it, for the most part, it wasn't a big deal for them for us to, for me to come out. Um, 
fact, our middle child eventually came out as non-binary and uses they, them pronouns. So uh, Kelly and I then went to the session of elders, which is a, the governing body of the Presbyterian Church, which is made up of members of the congregation that are ordained as an elder to rule over the congregation. And, and we have a board of deacons, which are kind of the pat, help, pastoral care arm of the congregation. Again, members of the congregation who are ordained as a deacon to, mm-hmm. to, do, to, do, to do that work. And so we got them together at the church and to tell them what was going on. And the support from them was really unanimous. Uh, none of the elders and deacons said that they wanted me to leave. In fact, one deacon even said that she was afraid that that's what I was going to tell them. We were there to tell them that we were leaving. And she was really relieved that that wasn't what we were saying. Um, I didn't know how to do this. I didn't know how to come out, especially to a congregation. And so I asked the elders because they're the ones who technically, their official title is ruling elders in the Presbyterian Church. And they're the ones who really make the decisions for the church. The pastors do not. And so I asked them how they want to move forward with this uh, and tell, present this to the rest of the church. And they all agreed that I should just come out as part of the worship service on a Sunday, uh, it included my sermon or what have you. And we all, they all agreed also that they would all stand in support of me as a part of this service um, because we needed to show that this just wasn't something I sprung on the congregation that mm-hmm. everyone knew what was going on. I also went to the head of my presbytery, you know, we like, which is like a diocese or a okay. conference, depending on what denomination you're in. Mm-hmm. And I told him what was going on and he was very supportive. And I told him, but the elders and I had agreed to move for how to move forward. And he agreed that was a good way to go. And that he would be there at the service when I came out as well as to offer support. Now, <laughs> I've been putting off telling my parents. Uh, my parents and I had had kind of a, a rocky relationship over the years. Um, and so finally, it was Saturday before the service. And my wife is like, you got to call your mom. Uh-huh. So I quickly called my mother up on Saturday before the service. And I told her everything that was going on with us, the whole nine yards. And her response was, you've got to be shitting me. Your father is going to die. Whoops. And I said, okay, well, watch the service. And I quickly hung up the phone. And, you know, because that was honestly was the, the coming out that I feared the most at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I came out in my sermon uh, during worship on the first Sunday of August of 2019. And um, I've included the link, uh, yeah. giving you the link that you're going to include on the page uh, yes. that links to a video of that, which yes. is part of an article that Suzanne DeWitt Hall wrote uh, for Impact Magazine. And her spouse, Declan, was running my church's social media at the time, including live streaming our services. And so... We were very intentional about making the decision to live stream this service because we felt it would help other people and that it might even save people's lives. Now, we actually had some hesitancy because at the time there had been one of the, a mass shooting at a church in Texas mm. right before that. And so there was a lot of tension around churches and safety and stuff. So we were even kind of, do we do this or not? That, yeah. that was we're like, no, you know, the importance of other people, this is more important. So we decided to live stream it. So in the, in the sermon, I gave space for the elders and deacons to come forward and you'll see this if you watch the video and state their support of me which they did eventually mm-hmm. the head of the presbytery came forward and did the same and things looked good and things felt really good mm-hmm. for a while but <laughs> um, even, bum, before bum. All, yeah, <laughs> even before all this happened there was this small faction in the church that had already been wanting to get rid of me for a while and uh, they felt that i was changing the church too much and too fast and um they actually said that i was bringing in the wrong kind of people to the church I didn't know there were right and wrong people in the church, but clearly there are for some people. So they were already trying to build this consensus to get me ousted. And they had called the presbytery several times complaining. One time they said that my sermons made them feel bad and feel guilty, like they were bad Christians. And to which the head of the presbytery told them that they don't police pastor sermons. The pastor preaches whatever the spirit inspires them to preach. But once I came out, this was just something now that this group could latch on to, to bring other people on board, to take advantage of their fears and their ignorance, to really get power behind their agenda that they had already had all along. And so they got a lot of people behind them, including people who had left the church, people, people who, who in the community who never even attended the church, people who had left the church before I even got there, mm-hmm. and they all began writing complaints to the Presbyterian and so forth. So things were starting to come to a head, and at one point, the head of the presbytery and another pastor colleague invited anyone who wanted to attend the next meeting of the elders to come so they could discuss where people are and how things are going. So people showed up who hadn't been at the church in years, people who didn't even go to the church. I mean, all the people just showed up in droves, um, 
and I was asked to leave during this, and they then proceeded to take all people's uh, complaints from these members, and I later heard that one actual complaint that someone voiced literally said, Josh doesn't have time for you unless you are poor, gay, or black. Yes, it was, it was that disgusting, yeah. But they did also hear praises from others who supported me, but uh, unfortunately, the literal screaming of the complainers began to overwhelm a lot of the supportive elders and deacons, and so things began to shift. Mm. Um, and then about a month later, I was called into the presbytery office to meet with the head of the presbytery and a couple of other pastors, uh, basically the equivalent of a committee on ministry. And there had been a motion filed by the session of another congregation to bring me up on ecclesiastical charges of adultery because I, it had been revealed that I was dating Lawrence and that my wife was now dating a woman. Yes, my ex-wife is with a woman uh, because God has a sense of humor. And we were, and we were still legally married because we were still trying to work out everything. Uh, the head of the presbytery said that at this point, my choices were either to resign and he would get me six months severance or I could fight the charges. But if I lost, I would not be able to get a severance. Um, and, they, and the Presbytery also offered to send me to a clergy counseling organization in, in St. Louis that would help me through this transition and help me to do some vocational assessments, help me find my particular niche in ministry. Because just the May before this, and May before this, before I had come out to everybody else, just only my wife knew, I'd actually been selected to be the preacher for the Presbytery meeting because of all the work I had been done to transform this church and because my preaching was getting a lot of attention. And so that, so that had already happened May before this, and then we're now at this point. So I went, I attended the counseling sessions, and I took all the assessments, and when I got the report back, the report was not about my particular niche in ministry. The report was about whether or not I was fit for ministry at all. Oh. And I, it, it said that I was, but I felt totally betrayed. I mm-hmm. felt like I had been lied to by these people who were supposed to be there to support me in these difficult situations like this. And, mm-hmm. and I felt like I went from being the golden boy of the presbytery back in May to being the black sheep by September. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt really isolated and I really didn't hear much support from my colleagues in the presbytery, even those who were supportive of the LGBTQIA plus community. So, oh my goodness. Yeah. But online, however, I had an amazing outpouring of love and support. Um, Friends on my Facebook page were sending me messages congratulating me on being my authentic self. I even got messages from strangers thanking me for my courage and coming out so so publicly because Declan made sure to distribute it through every possible channel she could. (laughs) He could. So, um, and so I did resign and my last Sunday at the church was the first Sunday of October which is always World Communion Sunday which is the day that I just always loved but it felt tainted after that yeah so I immediately began searching for another position but nothing was really seeming to come through which was weird because when I found my first job I had churches like beating my doors down like off you know wanting to interview Mm -hmm. me and everything so in early in February 2020 my partner Lawrence and I decided to move to to the Alabama Gulf Coast where he had already landed found a job and I just took a job bartending while I figured things out. My parents had actually retired to the same town about five years earlier. So I would be living close to my parents for the first time since I was 14. And that made me really anxious because my parents and I had had a rocky relationship over the years. But Lawrence, who had lost his own father when he was 10, told me, you don't want to lose your parents and miss on having a relationship with them. So we moved and we moved, we got here, we signed a lease and two weeks later, everything shut down because of COVID. We lost our jobs, everything, because we'd only been at our jobs two weeks. We couldn't even qualify for unemployment, and we had just signed this lease, right? Uh, luckily, I had that severance package that got us through the six weeks of the total shutdowns. So that when things started to open back up a little bit, we were able to get back to work. But um, in the meantime, I was still having no luck finding another church job. And there were actually um, two PCA, PCUS, PCUSA churches that were hiring nearby, but and I interviewed for those, and I didn't get either job, and I was working this other office job when I stumbled upon an organization in the area called Prism United that offered support services for LGBTQIA plus youth and their families. <clears throat> and on their website, it said that they were founded originally by Open Table United Church of Christ. And first of all, I was surprised to find a UCC church in the Deep South. They're not very common in the right, South. Right. So I wanted to know more about them. And so I, I read on their website that their founding pastor was retiring and that they were searching for a new pastor. Ding, ding. 
So, huh. so yeah, I, so I looked up and read the job description and I almost, I started crying reading the job description because if I were to create my own church, it would look so much like open table. Mm-hmm. And since the UCC and the PCUSA are in full communion with each other, I can easily serve this other denomination. So I applied for the job and that was around late September, 2020, and then quickly had interviews, follow-up through thing. And by December, 2020, I was hired. Um, interestingly enough, that October of 2020, I, I really wanted to attend church in person so badly because everything had been online and so forth. So found a little local community church in town that seemed safe enough, both in terms of their theology and their COVID protocols. So, and I very intentionally made sure not to go on the first Sunday of October because that was World Communion Sunday and the one would have been the one year anniversary of leaving my last church. Mm-hmm. So I went on the second Sunday. Well, it turns out that this church had postponed World Communion Sunday by a week. And that they were celebrating it on that Sunday. And I was upset, but I didn't want to leave in the middle of the service. So I participated in World Communion Sunday as a worshiper, and it was incredibly healing for me. Uh And I spoke to the pastor afterwards, and I I thanked him, and I kept attending for a couple more weeks. And then a couple weeks after that, I was offered the position at Open Table. And so I was at worship that Sunday, Sunday following, and I spoke to the pastor to tell him that I wouldn't be back after December because I accepted a position at a church. And he asked me where, and I told him, oh, this little UCC congregation over in Mobile. And he said, oh, open table. I'm a member of that church. I'm ordained in the UCC. I just serve this non-denominational church. (laughs) And I was like, you got to be kidding me. He said, yeah. He says, oh, my gosh. He goes, you're an answer to their prayers. He goes, I had no idea how they were going to find a UCC pastor to move down here for a part-time position. There's no other UCC church for hours away. You are exactly where you needed to be for them. Wow, that just gave me chills. <laughs> yeah, and that was the moment when I was finally able to look back and see the Holy Spirit's presence in everything that had happened mm. the last couple of years. Mm. Um, it, you know, and um, Open Table has been an amazing place for me to serve as a pastor now. Um, I get to preach the sermons I feel called to preach without fear of backlash. You know, I don't make people feel guilty for being bad Christians. Um I preach constantly on social justice and our call as Christians to work for social justice on behalf of God's beloved community, which is my term for the kingdom of God. Um, I get to serve as an openly gay man and they celebrate me for being who God made me instead of just tolerating me. Mm. And about half the congregation identifies as LGBTQIA plus um, as well. And we're, I call us also a deconstruction congregation because here this, in this church, you're free to discuss and work through the questioning of all your religious beliefs, especially those that may have been harmful to you over your life for whatever reason. And um, this is really important for this congregation because only one member of the congregation grew up in the UCC. The rest are all coming from mm-hmm. other various congregations mm-hmm. and denominations that they either had left or were even kicked out of for various reasons, mostly because they or a loved one uh, with LGBTQIA plus. So mm. I like to call open table, this beautiful group of religious refugees. I love that. Term. And, um, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, an open table is this tiny little community. Uh, you know, we may average about 10 in worship some days and people come and go, but it's really mighty in its influence. Almost all the members serve on progressive organizations and initiatives across the area. And they're not just the progressive congregation, they're an activist congregation. We always have members at all the major rallies and protests for progressive causes, including the recent passage of the anti-trans medical care laws here in Alabama. Uh, the congregation has also formed two nonprofits, the first one being Prison United, which I mentioned before, and the other one being Gulf Coast Creation Care, which brings together faith communities uh, to support environmentalism, especially care for the environment along the Alabama Gulf Coast. And they've all, I've also been able to be open about my struggles with my mental illness, with depression, anxiety, and ADHD, and the congregation welcomes that vulnerability and sees it as a strength and sort of a weakness as I had experienced actually in my last congregation. So I go and I look back at all that has happened, how difficult it has been, all the pain I have experienced, all the doubt, including doubting if I would ever serve in ministry again. Mm-hmm. And I realized the reason why none of the other church positions were coming through is because God already had it in mind that I would serve this church. Uh And in fact, it even goes all the way back to my ordination day because the PCUSA church where I was ordained gave me a stole as an ordination gift. And they had ordered it with the denominational logo embroidered on it. And when I opened it, the logo on it was actually the UCC logo. (laughs) 
And no one at the church seemed to notice that it was wrong. And I think that was God telling me back then that this is where I would end up. So yeah, it's, it's interesting. Oh you know, my and, gosh. Um, and open table, you know, we are struggling to bounce back like from the pandemic, like every church, our attendance numbers are down. Our financial giving is down, but we are making strides to get back out into the community, especially as COVID has settled down. Uh, also, it's on also something I'm doing to help us kind of slow down our spending is I'm going to be moving to quarter time by September because that's when I'm going to start a CPE residency in August. And that residency, CPE, for people who don't know, stands for uh, clinical pastoral education. It's basically chaplaincy training. Um, and it's really intense. Um, mm. A friend of mine who's a manager of pastoral care in St. Louis calls it poor man's therapy because literally when you do chaplain training, you every week you have to submit a verbatim and basically you think about whatever encounter with a patient that was the weirdest or the strangest or went you thought went totally wrong and you script it out as best you remember i said they said i said they said i said they said and then you have all these theological emotional and psychological reflection questions at the end about about the um the encounter and then you sit with your cohort of other chaplains and that you read the patient's words and they read your words back to you Ooh. And then you proceed to then go through every word you've said and break it apart and say, okay, what are your issues that are coming out in this? Because part of what try we're trying to help you do is identify, be able to identify when you're in a pastoral care situation, when your own issues are coming up and you may begin seeing the person as someone else. Like I'm seeing this person as my mother or as my, my friend or someone else instead of the person they actually are in front of you to help you learn to become self-aware of that so that you're actually caring for the person, not who you are projecting on them to be. So it's really intense. And I tell people who do CPE, I said, if you leave crying every day, you're doing it right. <laughs> so once I finish, it's a one-year training program full-time. Um, and I'll still be work doing uh, worship at Open Table on Sundays. And hopefully after that, I'll land a full-time chaplain job at a local hospital, which will be my main source of income because I'd like to have a more consistent income than just being a bartender in a, in a resort town, <laughs> which is good money in some days and then no money other days. Right. So, um, so hopefully I have more consistent income and can continue to serve open table and its mission in our community. So, um, so yeah, that's kind of my question of where I coming from coming out all the way to where I am now. Wow. And, um, it's been a long rocky journey, but it's been, um, amazing and grace filled, uh, along the way. I'm so happy that you agreed to do this show because, that that's the untold story. I think of a lot of people who come out, especially in the church at your level of being a pastor, already a pastor, and then losing the community and their support. And so let me go back for just a second, and then I'm going to come back to this. But we talked about your parents and that they had this huge reaction to your Saturday quickie. <laughs> coming out and then you're going to be moving closer to your parents. So fill in that gap for my mind is what happened after you about killed your father, apparently with your disclosure, and then you're going to be moving closer to them. What happened after the coming out? You know, it was interesting. I couldn't believe how shocked my mother was. So I figured out anybody who suspected had been my mother, but I guess she didn't, but I always think my father did always kind of suspected. Um, after we got down here, um, I went out to dinner with my parents one night while Lawrence was working and my dad says, okay, look, mom told me, you know, told me you came out and so forth and everything. And I get that. And that's fine. Whatever. He goes, I just need to know, why are you a Democrat? Oh my gosh. <laughs> you know, I said, because you raised me to be a Democrat in the nineties. You all loved Clinton and everything back in the nineties. So, um, and then there was a couple of, couple of weeks ago, um, we were, once I was having dinner with my parents and, um, my dad goes to his room and gets his little uh, box that um, he uses um, these little smokes, these little things that have the highest legal amount of THC you can have in them because okay. he, has nerve, he has this nerve thing and it's the only thing that really works gives me relief. And he's getting those out and I just start dying laughing. And he's like, what? And they're like, what's so funny? I said, if you had told me when I was 14 that there would be the day when I'd be sitting at dinner with my parents and my partner, my boyfriend, and my dad would be picking up basically a joint, I would say you're out of your damn mind. <laughs> but, you know, it's just where we are. And it's it's just life where everything is. Um, 
you know, even um, a few months ago, I found that my, uh, my niece, my brother's daughter came out and she's open about that now. And I think um, it, me being gay helped her also be able to be okay with that and know that the family would be okay with it mm-hmm. as well because they'd already accepted me and Lawrence and so forth. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, it's, I, I'm really proud of my family, how far they've come because like I said, back when I was younger, I never would have thought they would have been here. Mm-hmm. but um, I guess you can't always underestimate people. Yeah. Yeah. The initial so. reaction is sometimes much different after they have that time to process and yeah. your mom's cool. Yeah. 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 Every, yeah. Everyone's, everyone's cool now at this point. Like I said, it was just, it was just, I, <laughs> let me drop this bomb on you and then hang up the phone basically. Yes. And, Cause yeah. I was, I had so much fear and anxiety in that moment, not knowing what to do. And yeah. And so, yeah. yeah. And there was already, like I said, it was the Saturday before the sermon and I was already freaking out because of that. Of and course. Been putting off that, telling them because I've been trying to get everything else lined up and ready. So, yeah. 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 That was a lot of pressure and building up to that, even though you, you said, you know, they had told you they had your support. It doesn't matter. It's getting yeah. to, it's getting to the point where you're actually able to say those words. I knew that I was not safe enough to tell my parents in person. And so I wrote a letter and my first draft was over six pages long before I could say the word gay in the letter. I just had the hardest time and I was 30 when I came out. So I had lots of years to practice hiding and, you know, that I didn't even know I was hiding. I really just didn't even know. And, but once I came out and I wanted, I wanted to live so authentically, but I still had that inner homophobia and that inner fear of God's rejection and me going to hell. Mm -hmm. So to say the words and actually put it on paper was horrific for me. Um, (laughs) And then apparently according to what my mom has told me, I mailed the letter I, after I condensed it. I did get it down to two pages. So that was really great. Um, I mailed the letter. <clears throat> Apparently they opened it. My mother read it. She handed it to my father. He must have gotten down to the word gay. He threw it across the room and said, we're not talking about this. And this was right around the time that my sister, <clears throat> excuse me, was having her first son. And it went terribly wrong. She almost died. She had emergency surgery. My, me and my uh, partner were there and I was trying to call home to tell them what was going on. It had been two weeks and they hadn't, they had called, my mom had called one time and told my partner that she's the one that turned me gay and that I had never been gay until I met her and it's all her fault. So, and then there'd been no communication. So when I called home to tell them that Debbie was in trouble and that she may be dying, um, i called my father answered the phone I said daddy and he hung up on me three times I tried he hung up every time until finally on the fourth try I just and this was before caller ID thank goodness but um I said she's Debbie's dying and he handed the phone to my mom because he would not listen to my words or hear my voice so we go from that to later it getting somewhat better but it took my parents my dad, especially a very, very long time. I missed three different reunions with our family because I wasn't allowed to come and be authentic. And if I wasn't right. going to lie about being a 30 something year old woman with absolutely no life, if I wasn't going to pass that off as my greatest gift, <laughs> I was not allowed to come. But, but I had a really good discussion with another guest just recently. And, and his point of view was that, you know, he gives his parents permission to either use his pronouns or not use his pronouns while they're in their farm community hometown, because he said they're the ones that know who there is safe to come out to and how their lives would be after they did. And I thought that was the most beautiful thing because we're also militant about I'm here, I'm queer, accept me. And, and I do believe that needs to happen. I do believe that we need all rights and we should never have to have our rights depend on who's in office. But um, I also love the grace of that to say, and because I said in the, in the podcast, when we leave our parents home, they're still there living in that community. And what do they have to go through in their church, in their community? So, you know, I love the transition. If we give people time, if we're able to give people time to love us as they, as they do love us after they get over the shock and the, and the, the fear of us going to hell because that's still the thing, right? 
people think we're still oh, yeah. going to hell. Well, you know, and my, my family is not very religious either. I'm, I'm kind of the anomaly in my family. So, um, um, and when Lawrence was applying for a job down here and we had an interview and I had got a job interview and everything. So we had to come down here. So we came down very quickly and uh, stay with my parents. And so that they, you know, this was the first time I had seen them since I came out and they were meeting Lawrence and everything all the same time. And they were just like, it's so good to meet you and hugs and everything, all that stuff, you know, and they, you know, referred to Lawrence's son and everything now too and everything. And it's just, and that, that happened all real quick and it wasn't a big deal. Um, like awesome. I said, I think I just, I think I just shocked the shit out of them. And then, they, they, yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> because I, I did, I really say in that situation, I did not handle that well. Uh, I should have mm. been more, I should have gone about that better, but I had just put things yeah. off for too long. And I just had to, I feel like I just had to rip, rip the tape off, rip the bandit off and just yeah. and keep moving. So, but, and that yeah. happens so often because we, we get to the point where we have to do it and then it just happens, you know, usually yeah. not in our, and, and not, I don't know how. I know I did not handle all of the things that happened during that time very well at all. So tell me when, when you were the pastor at, at the church and you were welcoming gay people, you were supporting gay people, you were an ally. How did you, how did you do that without knowing that you were gay and the, all the messages how did, I guess my real question, sorry about that. But um, my real question is how did you handle the scriptures that people use to condemn homosexuality while you were pastoring that church and welcoming gay people in? Well, unfortunately, for the most part, PCUSA is, is very much a progressive denomination. And we already allow ordination of the LGBT community and oh, okay. to do LGBT weddings and so forth. I mean, we already decided that back in uh, the early 2000s. And, uh, there was a lot of splits over that. And there's a whole other story about my church in Houston that split when all this was going on even too. The one I was baptized in and my wife's family was founding members of. That's a whole other story for another day. Okay. Um, but um, so I, I was already and very clear about where I stood and everything when I even when I interviewed with this church, you know, and there were people like, oh, yeah, we need to be more welcoming, accepting of people, the, the higher, the PNC, they call it the Passion Nominating Committee, when I interviewed and everything. Um, but I said, you know, but where are we in terms of doing gay weddings? Because that church was like a wedding venue. They had 10 weddings booked when I, when I arrived because everyone and their mother, because it was this beautiful, like stone country church, had the big long aisle and everything. So everybody wanted to get married there. <laughs> I mean, I felt like at some point I felt like a Vegas wedding chapel more than a church sometimes. <laughs> but um, you know, and at one point we did a um, we did a churchwide study. We actually read Adam uh, Adam Hamilton's book. He has a study about the getting into the the, the nitty gritty of the Bible and what does the Bible actually say about things. And one of them is about homosexuality and everything. And he he breaks down and goes over all that. We did it as a both a a study group in small groups, and then we also did it as part of the work. The themes of that book as part of the worship service and everything too and and i you know i remember when i did the sermon on that i said look if you don't have to agree on this but we are going to treat other people respect because they are human beings made in god's image mm-hmm. regardless you know um and so i mean when some uh of uh gay members did people started attending there were a couple people who left because of that most people were just mad at me in general because i was getting, making them go out and do different things. That's really ultimate. Like I said, that's what the initial backlash was coming from before I even came out was, you know, I was getting them out into the community. We were serving the community. We were doing all this stuff. We had, uh, my friend Suzanne Declan had, had helped us start this whole thing where we were literally every Thursday night, we called it the welcome table. We were serving a free meal to anyone who wanted to in the church. They could just show up, eat. We didn't question, I don't care if you were homeless, if you were, if you uh, if you were a soccer mom who's just exhausted, just needed to feed your kids real quick, whatever, you know, free food. And we sat and we, we just talked to people. We had 75 people coming to that every week that weren't even, none of which were members of the church. And there were people who didn't like it. And they were always concerned. Oh, you know, because church kitchens are always an issue of contention. Oh, my gosh. Right. You know, church <laughs> kitchens just <laughs> so, you know, so we were using the kitchen and we had to make sure we we're following all the rules and stuff like that. Uh, and, and what's kind of sad is literally about a month before I finally had to resign, we had actually gotten like a $10,000 grant from the denomination to keep it going. And wow. yeah. And then they ended up just having to give it back because once I left and then Declan left and several other people who were supporting it left when I did, because they didn't like the way the church treated me, they had no one who wanted to do it. No one wanted to feed the community. Oh. So they had to give $10,000 back. Mm. You know, and it's just that was that that was really what it was 
ultimately it was about that, but they made it into me being about me being gay because okay. that's what they could, that's what they could galvanize and upset people around because not understanding it. Were you able to do a gay wedding at your church? No, I never did um, one at that, at that church. There was never any that came around um, okay. there. I remember there was the local UMC pastor was, um, had a gay gay couple and that she could not right now, especially maybe now and yes. being asked if if I could participate in the service to do this because she couldn't even do it herself right then because things were right. still up in the air. Right. So and I had agreed to that if if need be. But um no I didn't do actually didn't I, I did the first gay wedding I did actually um so right after I right next door to the church I left was the only gay bar in the county. <laughs> well they weren't a gay bar they were a bar for everyone but they were run by these, these, this gay, these two gay men, this couple who were great. And they had a drag show on Sunday nights and I literally, I need something to do. I went there and started learning how to bartend and started there and everything and bartending the drag shows and all that stuff. And felt like I did more um, ministry there than anywhere else. Cause people are all like, you're a, you're a pastor. And then word had gotten out in the community too. And they're uh-huh. all like, want, they want to talk to me and all this stuff. And, and, and I loved it. And like I said, the guys who ran it, they were just, uh, Curtis and Dave were just amazing, amazing people and getting to know all the people who worked there and, and the drag queens and everything. It was just this wonderful, wonderful community that I got to know. Yeah, Curtis and Dave had been together for a long time, but they had never been legally married and they finally wanted to do that. They wanted to get married on Valentine's Day. So I sat down with them on Valentine's Day. All, they, all we really had to do was sign the documents and everything. They, and then they, want, cause, um, they wanted to have a big formal wedding mm-hmm. afterwards but they wanted to have their legal wedding date on Valentine's day. So I just sat down with, on Valentine's day and I, we did vows there at the table at the bar, did vows, everything. And then said, I do. And they, um, you know, kiss your, kiss your spouse. And then we signed off on the paperwork and legally married them right there on that day. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So that was my, my first gay wedding was done at a, at a bar right next door to the church that had just kicked me out for being gay. <laughs> <laughs> well, not for being gay, but for lots of reasons, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they use that as a reason, and which I think is so odd since the PC USA is so affirming and they will they acknowledge right. LGBTQ. But that that's always been my fear that once you get to a church, because I've been to a UCC church in in town and it was horrible and they were not open and affirming because it was an old, old congregation and a very non-affirming uh, church, even though I thought it would be. Um, and yeah, that's, that's the ahead. problem. So with like the PCUSA and the UCC is they, the way the polity, the, the, the church governance is written is it grants permission to do to, to the church to do this, but does not require them to permission, not requirement. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Before and there was no, before there was no permission at all. And now they, they just simply have permission to do that. So. Yeah. So you could go to a church that's very affirming and you can still go to a church that's not even though it's under the same denomination. Yeah. And that, and that's why I always tell people, check out the church. Don't go by the, the denomination because just because my, I go to the Episcopal church here in town and it is the most affirming, amazing church. Although there are members in that church that I'm absolutely sure are not agreeing with my big old gay self. The priest is amazing. And there are so many amazing affirming people in that church and many gay people in that church. Yeah, because I think the Episcopal Church actually requires it like to, to accept. And I, I, I think it, they, they finally have drawn that line, I think. Yeah, we're very clear. Line. We're very clear yeah. as far as I know. But, but I've been told they weren't. That if I had right. found the Episcopal Church many years ago, I would, I would have not either gone in or I would have gone in and walked out. <laughs> well, and you know, it's interesting, like um, when I was when I was getting ready to, to work for um, Open Table UCC, I had to take a course on UCC polity and history. And um, one of the things we looked at was the whole open and affirming movement in the UCC. And there had an article I read that um, the open and affirming organization within the UCC had done a study of all their open and affirming churches and actually found that something like over half of the open and affirming churches really could not give a fully open and affirming welcome to the trans community. Like they, they, oh, we're, we take gay people, but the trans community element was another step they weren't able to make. Even the churches labeled open and affirming weren't able to make yet. Wow. And so that's, so that means, so there, there's, there's, a, cause people don't seem to realize there's transphobia within the gay community. Oh yeah. A lot of it. I, I yeah, totally because, agree with that. Yeah. Especially amongst members of the gay community, I think who just try to pass 
mm-hmm. uh, within the rest of society and everything because, yeah, because it's just, it's trans people don't always pass in the way that they can pass mm-hmm. uh, as, you know, as straight. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, so that's, so there's a lot of, a lot of transphobia within the, the gay community that mm-hmm. really needs to come to an end because we're all in this together. If we're not, we're not going to survive all this. And isn't that sad <laughs> that in, in amongst people who have been marginalized for all their life, you know, nitpick about each other you know you're not marginalized yes yeah and that's that's a problem that is a problem we just we as humans just really don't get it (laughs) we're taking a very long time to get grace and love your neighbor and you know be be there for each other however people like you you know other people i've interviewed what i aspire to be is a light to show people that this is how we do it, you know, that we have to be visible. We have to have validity in our own lives. We have to own it. We have to own who we are so that we can then help others find their authentic self. And that's what I do in my coaching practice. You know, that's my, that's my biggest reason why I opened that after we lost our job in 2019, but um, was to, to be able to give people a place to land that if you need help coming out, if you need help with your faith journey, and I love combining those two things because so many people lost their faith, got redirected from their faith, gave up on their faith. And I did the same thing, but then coming back and reclaiming, you know, your faith, being able to honor yourself and reclaim your faith is inclusiveness within yourself. And that's what I want people to be able to feel. Not that I have to go to hell and I need to kill myself. I need people to know you can be gay with God. You can have that faith. You can live your authentic life. It, it all is still okay, but there's a lot of garbage out there that tells them different. Oh, I know. Yeah. Well, yep. you know, and that, that leads me to, you know, um, your big final question you, you always ask us is, mm-hmm. would you share with someone who is struggling? And yes. so this, is, this is what I would say. I would say, you just got to embrace it. You got to be who you are because just before I came out, my depression and my anxiety were at its peak. I mean, mm-hmm. I was taking high doses of antidepressants and anti-anxiety meds just to function day to day. But when I came out, even though it was difficult and I lost relationships, I even lost a job. It was like this huge weight was lifted off me. I mean, mm-hmm. I even dropped the lowest dose of the medications at that point. And my therapist at the time, she's, she's, I miss her. She was so great. She said, you know, I'm not religious and I don't believe in this kind of thing, but you're a fucking miracle. <laughs> You know, and it's true because despite, you know, all those losses and the suffering I experienced along this way of coming out, I am so much happier than I've ever been. And I've, mm-hmm. I've lost that internalized self-hatred that kept coming out as anger towards my loved ones. Uh, I believe I'm a better pastor, especially towards mm-hmm. marginalized communities, because now mm-hmm. I understand how it feels to be part of a marginalized community, community mm-hmm. and to experience various forms of prejudice just because mm-hmm. of who God made you to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what was the other interesting thing was when I came out, I discovered this whole community of men around my age. I'm in my forties who were finally coming out. Uh, most of which like me have been married to women for many years and had children. Mm-hmm. And I think that men around my age ha- have a kind of a unique situation because about why we felt a great deal of pressure to stay in the closet mm-hmm. because we were children during the AIDS scare of the eighties. And then we were teenagers during the don't ask, don't tell and the defense of marriage act of the nineties. And so by the time we came of age in the two, early 2000s, we quickly married the first girl we thought we could love. <laughs> and by the time society started to become more accepting in the 2010s and teens, many of us just thought it was too late that this mm-hmm. we've been in this too long, that we can't break up our marriage and family after all this time. But as I said at the beginning of my time here, eventually Good Friday comes. Yeah. And you and, and the old you that society forced you to be eventually dies. And the you that God created you to be resurrects. Yeah. Don't stop God from trying to resurrect you from the grave that you and society dug for yourself. Mm. No, it's going to be messy. Yeah. You're going to get dirty digging yourself out of your grave. So you're going to be so much better in the long run. Yes. That's beautiful. Oh, thank you for that. Thank you. Wow, Josh, I'm, I just really appreciate you so very much. I appreciate your time today, and I appreciate you being willing to tell a story that didn't have all the, the, the happy moments, you know, that, um, that you've really been through the lowest of the lows, and you've risen, 
you know, into your authentic self. And I'm so happy for you. And I'm happy for Lawrence. I'm happy for your wife that she found her a woman. I'm glad your family's doing well and everybody's still together. So thank you so much for honoring us with your story. Well, thank you for this time, Mitch. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. And guys, I want to thank you, the listeners, for coming back each week, supporting, sharing, and subscribing wherever get you get your podcasts. Don't forget to give us some love and rate the podcast so that we get more visibility. And if you want to see more information and links to connect with Pastor Josh, and I definitely will be loading that video on there, and you've got to see it. I was in tears before we came on today. Go to the Gay With God show page at empoweredmidge.podbean.com. And if you're questioning whether you can be gay and be in relationship with God, if you are authentically LGBTQIA, God has always been within you, even when you didn't know it, you have always been gay with God. So I have a couple of announcements before I turn you loose today. So one of them is remember that on the Facebook group, Gay with God, I do have the Faith Journey Zoom group going up once a month. And tonight we're meeting. If you don't get to join the group before tonight, uh, you can catch us next month. So find us on Facebook, Gay with God. And if you need a little coaching support to get through your coming out Faith Journey story, go to the show page at empoweredmidge.podbean.com. Scroll all the way down to the bottom and see how you can connect with me. And one more quick announcement. Just like last year, I've been invited back to the Wild Goose Festival. (laughs) And that is in July. It's uh, 14th through the 17th. And I have already paid for someone to come with me if you want to be a live guest on the show. So grab your tent. (laughs) or if you have an RV, even better, but um, (laughs) grab your tent and uh, your, your entrance into the festival will be paid for by me if you're my guest. Uh, So if you're interested in that, connect with me and we'll see how we can get you all lined up and ready to go to the wild goose and be a live guest at the festival. So thank you, everybody. Stay tuned to hear how you can join the Gay With God community and we'll see you next week. Love you. I want to invite you to become a part of the Gay With God community. How can you do that? Stay connected by messaging me your thoughts and comments in the comment section under the downloads of the show on the Gay With God show page. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen and share, share, share so we can increase our community outreach and be a light to those who are struggling to claim their faith. Consider being a sponsor so I can highlight your service in our community. We are all worthy of respect and a relationship with the God of our understanding. I want to thank you in advance for supporting this podcast. Together, we as a community will keep this show visible and our community stronger. Deep gratitude to my friend Tim McClendon of Tim McClendon Music for allowing me to use an excerpt from Interlude 4, a song found on his CD entitled Sundance.